Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Today, we'll be talking about flipping the classroom, where students take control of their learning process. Our guest is an educator who has embraced the strategies of flipping the classroom and has seen how it pays off with his students. Timothy Selgrat has been a technology teacher for almost two decades now and has spent the last six years dedicated to STEAM and growth mindset. Selgrat developed and continues to facilitate the STEAM program at Carleton Washburn School. His prior roles include technology teacher, tech support, tech coach, network admin, technology director, and probably his favorite, the school's resident DJ. Thanks so much for joining us, Tim. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> I like to start the podcast with a simple question. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? When I was younger, I had a coach in junior high. And coming up in my eighth grade year, I hadn't played very much. And he realized some of the abilities that I had. And he basically put me down low underneath the basket and was like, here, rebound, and we're going to work and putting your shot back up. And that really stuck with me because he played to my strengths. Before that, I, I wasn't having as good of a time, I guess, on the team. I was struggling. It was hard to find your place and fit in. And he really helped me find that place. And I think when you can find your place and you get comfortable with your strengths, you can work towards those strengths and build on those. And then from there, you can help recognize some of those weaknesses and see how you can pull that up. So that really stuck with me throughout the years. Yeah, that's interesting that you weren't able to recognize your own strengths, right? You needed a coach to help you find those. And then once he found that, it was really like, it was the start of a, a lifelong love. Yeah, that's great. So how did you get interested in becoming a teacher? So that actually kind of ties along with this. When I was um, in high school, I uh, broke my wrist pretty bad and I had some surgeries and whatnot, so I couldn't play basketball. And my mom actually had told me <laughs> at the beginning of the season, you're going to go help coach. So why don't you go over to the gym and meet up with Mr. Coleman. And then fast forward, that's kind of how I got here. I was coaching in high school. I really found uh, a love for it when it was time to enroll in college. It was really between architectural design and teaching and coaching. And it was really more of a coaching aspect at that point. And then it just kind of continued on through. That's how I was able to get my first position. I kind of was flexible and started working in my former elementary school where I was coaching. So I kind of had a, a nice little in there to today where now I feel like I'm coaching in the classroom. So how did you make that transition from your focus on just coaching? I'm assuming you coached basically the different sports at the school. Is that what you did? Yeah, so I've mainly focused on basketball throughout my coaching career and mainly at, you know, the middle school or so level. Yeah. But really making that transition, um, it's kind of funny because I was going to be a uh, secondary PE teacher. I was going to uh, really focus on coaching and a position opened up in technology, like I mentioned at my former grade school, and I applied for it and I was able to get it. And that really was able to kind of help shift my career. About 10 years later, I moved on to uh, the district that I'm at now uh, in Winneka, Illinois. And really, I'll be honest, I was even kind of struggling with the typical classroom. You kind of have your middle and then you differentiate for your high flyers and you try to help out the kids um, that maybe are struggling. You really want to find that hook, right, to get the kids interested. And at the time, our technology courses were more learning Google Docs, Google Suite, making sure that the kids knew how to uh, format a paper and use spreadsheets and create a presentation. And all that was great, and I, and I appreciated that, and I would be able to work with other colleagues and, and try to incorporate you know, English papers or social studies projects or science projects or whatever it be in the classroom. But really, it was the introduction of STEAM and how it was uh, 
being taught in um, other places, which really fits our progressive education district very well. It's really kind of flipping it and giving the students a voice and the choice of what they're learning and how they're learning it. Um, and really they have the opportunity in my class to choose challenges that they're interested in. So whether you're in the STEAM classroom, it could be coding, but it also could be 3D printing or design. And they choose things that they're interested in and then they can go a little bit deeper on that or you know, we can choose many uh, different topics throughout the trimester. But really with that, it kind of helped me kind of going back to that one initial experience I had where I was able to let the students work towards their strengths. And so in working towards their strengths, they're able to be more engaged. They enjoy coming to class a little bit more. They get to have that autonomy and that ownership over their learning. And really, when you give the keys to the kids, I tell you, it's a, it's a whole different world. Have you seen some of your coaching skills transferred into how you teach your students? Can you elaborate on some examples? Good coaching is good teaching and good teaching is good coaching. So you want to put your players in a position to win. So really for me, I would try to position my players where their strengths are and we build on those strengths. And as we understand those strengths, and you gain that confidence. Now we can say, okay, here are some other spots maybe where we're, where we need to step up a little bit. And so you can kind of connect those two because you're using that engagement, you're using the student's uh, interest, you're using the student's um, prior knowledge to say, okay, here's where I'm at, and now here are some things where uh, maybe I can improve and I can step up on that. And I think as a good teacher, you're helping guide both sides of that, right? You're, you're being their champion. You're saying, hey, this is great. I, I appreciate what you're doing here. And yeah, I see maybe where you can improve on this end. So now what are some steps that we could take to get you to that? And again, that, that's the way I would approach a, a team or a classroom. I like how you're looking at your classroom as a team, not just even as an individual. Really the way I try to set up the classroom is that it's a community of learners. Like I allow the students to sit where they like and they usually choose their own tables, tends to be with their social group, which seems to work out okay because I really want to have a little bit of that social aspect because one principle that I try to have in my classroom is C3 before me. Rather than just Mr. Selgrad, I don't know what to do and just coming right to me, it's okay, let's try to solve our problem first because in the real world, you know, you don't always have a Mr. Selgrat or a teacher that you can just run to and say, hey, I don't understand this. We have to figure out how to solve these problems on our own. All right. So first step is you're trying to look through and maybe try to understand it yourself. If you're stuck, there's help material or there's also people right next to you that are going through probably the same thing and you might have some of the same questions. And so if you have a little bit of a better of a relationship there and the lines of communication are open, which does take a little bit to build, but that really then becomes your support group at that table. And it's really organic and natural. And it's cool because it's not always, you know, one person who's always the smart one or one person that always has the answer. It can shift and it does shift around. And I've seen students help each other and it goes back and forth. And that's really where the learning gets deepened because it's not just, hey, I know how to do it and I did it on this program, but it's, I know how to do it and I can show you how I did it. And I even talk with the kids too about, you know, like I, I have the answers, I can give you the answers, it's not about the answers. I really want to understand how you got to that answer. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it. Awesome. Yeah, it's great that you're encouraging them to help each other because that's also a crucial part of community building as well. Yeah, and that's a big piece of the classroom. And I really try to have, and I refer to us as a coding community, and we depend on each other. And sometimes, too, I may be working with a, a student to try to really get a concept home, and I'll have students that might be lining up behind that person. And it's like, hey, if you can, uh, I know where you're at. For example, Chapter 3, this student just did that. So maybe why don't you guys just go have a discussion, and then let me finish here, and then we'll touch base and see where you're at. Because, again, I'm not the only one that can, can teach that. And as the trimester goes along, if this person is that 
like the lead at this table or maybe farthest along at this table, they could talk to the person over here and they're kind of working together. So now it's expanding that community. Right. And this ties really closely to what we want to talk about today, which is flipping the classroom, which is something that you hear more and more in the education community. Do you mind taking some time to describe what flipping the classroom means to you? So for flipping the classroom, what that means to me is really preparing and giving the instructions uh, to the students on a video or having some sort of help material before they come into the classroom. Generally in my coding class, I don't give a lot of homework or any. If they want to code outside or have the resources outside, they have it. I do try to contain it in the classroom. But really when we talk about flipping uh, the classroom, it's having those on-demand resources to kind of say, okay, here is what we're doing in class. Here are the concepts that we're covering. Think about that and when you come into class, come ready to either work or have questions or discuss whatever the lesson may be. How is that different than a standard classroom? Just like you said, when you became tech teacher, you had looked at the curriculum and they were learning Google Talks and they had structured lesson plans. How is flipping the classroom different than just following a normal lesson plan? Because really, a lot of times, teachers would use a classroom to teach the topic, right? So whatever the subject matter is, let's say we're uh, discussing variables today. Rather than taking 20 minutes of the class time to stand in front of the class, I might make a short uh, video on variables. Students can watch it. So if they get it, they can just watch it, jump right in, keep coding. Other students might not get it. They might need to watch it two or three times and then still have questions for me. And that's fine because now they're taking that ownership and they're learning into their own hands. So I don't have to then want to say waste time, but sometimes I almost think it is kind of a waste of time because then you have some kids that are sitting there, they're bored, they're like, okay, I can get it and go on, right? You don't have to do everything lockstep. And really, that's one of the the big keys that I like with Osaria too, is that I can give them the freedom to kind of work within their own pace and push it along. And, And I think that's very helpful because then you don't have kids that are falling behind or maybe worried that they're falling behind. And then you don't have kids, like I said, that are up front and maybe bored. It sounds like it's sort of nice with flipping the classroom where students can choose to learn at their own speed almost, right? It's almost like all of your teaching materials are on demand. Is that what you're trying to relay there? Yeah, that's actually where I'm trying to go is just to make them all on demand. And I've even taken some steps recently and we might get into this, but I've been watching now that we've been back since, you know, post pandemic, we're all in the classroom. Okay, where are the stopping points? Where are students getting stuck the most? And I even had them fill out a little bit of a form. Give me your top five uh, places where you got stuck. And what I've noticed, it's mainly when we switch from concept to concept. So in my head that told me, and not that it's very hard, but they're going through and they're reviewing and they're working on variables, for example, they get variables, it's cool, and then they throw in conditionals and now it's like, whoa, wait, what are we doing? And because I allow them to go at their own pace, that's where I might see a dozen conversations that are very similar. So then in my head, I know that I could take the conversation that I've had and try to tweak that into a short 30 seconds to two minute video explaining the topic. So I could say, when suits are like, hey, I don't understand this, now your first spot is let's just watch this video. All right, Ozari does a great job at at discussing this and taking you through the topic, but why don't you just listen to me for a moment? Like, just watch this video and see what you get. And again, you're kind of taking that ownership into your hands as as far as a learner. And like you mentioned, you have this whole library of resources that can be useful, you know, trimester after trimester. And it sounds like flipping the classroom involves a lot of just observation and listening to your students. You said that you even surveyed them about what parts were confusing. How much of that is involved when you're flipping the classroom? So 
taking a step back, if I use a science classroom, for example, because really about six or seven years ago when I wanted to do this and I was really excited about this, I found out that our science department was doing this. They had just started doing this. So like shout out to the uh, Washburn science teachers. They were flipping and really making their instructional videos. Our content's a bit different and how we deliver it's a bit different, right? But if you look at it in that respect, they would make videos per subject matter for their students and then their homework would be now go home watch this video when you come back in now we'll either do the lab now we'll follow up with a discussion because you're really bringing that home it gives that student time to to sit there and really absorb what they're watching and again like like i mentioned you could watch it once and be done with it or you can sit there and scrub and kind of go through and it's very accessible too communities are, are different, but at the middle school age, uh, in our community, we have a lot of commitments, a lot of sports commitments, things after school. So even if you're able to watch this six minute video on a lab or a, a five minute video just discussing, hey, here's how we're gonna use conditionals and here's a way to think about it, right? If you have that five minutes between practice or on your way home, you've done your homework. Another thing is you always wanna try to meet the, the learner or the student where they're at. So. If I'm writing everything on an overhead with a dry erase or a wet erase marker and projecting it on the wall, that's not gonna reach these kids. But if you have a YouTube video or if you have a short video that they can watch on their iPad or their own device, that's natural to them. That's what they do. That's how people learn. It right? sounds like you're making TikTok videos to teach kids how to code, basically. Almost. But I don't want to say that. <laughs> you don't want to say that. I'm going to have well, to start also, dancing. You, know? you have to start dancing in your videos. I think it's also interesting. Okay. For the kids out there who didn't grow up with normal television, where you just had to show up at a specific time to watch the show versus having on-demand streaming. I mean, I feel like that's a key difference between uh, traditional teaching and this whole flipped classroom idea. Yes, yes, and that's huge. I recently took a couple grad courses and they were online. And I have all of that material accessible to me. I have a syllabus that I can follow. Yes, I'm an adult male, but you know, it's not that we're not trying to teach our students um, to be able to follow and to teach them responsibility. And really, again, when everything's kind of spelled out for them, when you have clear path on where you're going and you have a clear direction, and when you have all those resources there, there's no reason that the student can't be successful. Right. And you've already touched on some of these benefits, like kids having their own agency. They're willing to just chip away at it five minutes at a time. I love how short they are. What are some other benefits that you've seen after you flip the classroom? Well, so one of the things that I'm trying to kind of even push and, and go a little bit beyond is rather than me making the videos, now I'm trying to um, talk some of the students into making the videos. Like, hey, just talk about how you went through this level. I, I noticed that you got stuck. You were just explaining it. Just screen record how you went through this. Because one, that'll help me to kind of understand the student's processing and kind of reflection. But two, that gives them even more agency. And I'd much rather have a library of students explaining how they were able to pass a level or how they understood a topic rather than all of my voice. Because again, it's not that like I'm the end all be all of anything. I'm just trying to facilitate this and give you access to a resource library where you can kind of go and uh, take that ownership. So after you flip the classroom, have you seen any positive benefits or results in what the students have been able to do? Yes. So kind of as we talked, as far as students building that community, I feel like they have a little bit more rapport with each other. You see some of the kids working better with each other. You see their collaboration uh, going a little bit deeper and really kind of going through more difficult topics. And it's not all me. I've seen students at the tables that maybe aren't excelling as fast as others want to get a little bit faster, but really 
just the way that you see them working together and their focus, I think that is that is huge because I feel like it's a, a little bit of a break uh, of their day to come into the classroom and to be able to code and to be able to work kind of with their buddies and their friends and solve problems together. So it really does kind of help just their overall SEL. And I think that that's huge. Right. And I feel like a lot of times SEL is pushed to the side, but it sounds like flipping the classroom naturally just incorporates some SEL skills right there. Yeah. And I really think that the, the biggest benefit is really just giving students the time and the resources to think, giving them a little bit of separation. So if they did watch that the night before, or if they need that on demand at the beginning of class, they can watch it, pause, think about it, reflect, and then bring it to the classroom. Because I don't know about you, but I, I know myself as a learner, a lot of times I'll have a conversation or I'll be going through something and then an hour later you're driving home and you're like, oh man, I just thought of this or I have to remember this for tomorrow. And I think that really kind of helps just kind of naturally have that occur in the classroom because you can be like, oh, I was thinking about this last night and here's here's where I'm at. And so I think that those are just kind of some of the, the benefits for flipping the classroom. Yeah, that's a great point where you don't feel like you have to cram all that learning within that classroom time that it's important to have moments of reflection in between and encourage that almost. Yeah, and it's not an easy thing to do. It does require a lot of work on the back end, which I think just takes a while anyway, right? Like for me, it's like, oh, well, I have all this stuff. Here's how I normally do things. The pandemic kind of helped force that shift. And even coming back, I'm trying not to fall into some habits that I don't want and just kind of getting up and being like, okay, let me just talk about this on the board. If you give me five or 10 minutes, we'll go through this and then you can code. And so I really feel like just seeing that and kind of being in that spot again, it's like, yep, I know I need a video for this class because I can say, hey, here are your videos, here are your resources, let's get going. I'm here for help. And, and it really kind of frees you up a little bit within your classroom, but it's definitely a change. Yeah, you said it's a change and it's a little more difficult. Can you highlight a few other challenging parts of flipping your classroom? Think back to when you first tried to do it. What was the most challenging or intimidating part? I think it's giving up that control because, you know, at, you've taught a certain way for however long, right? Wherever you are in your career, you've taught a certain way. And this is, this is a big flip and your days are kind of crazy. I kind of like that, but it's a little bit crazier. You're not just dealing with one lesson plan and going through that. Well, I mean, you may be, but you're really opening your classroom up and you're becoming a different kind of teacher because rather than just delivering the information and then limiting the time that you have to discuss and go deeper, you're really just presenting the information and now it's giving you time to go deeper, to really be that teacher and get those concepts and talk to your students and help your students reflect on that. That's a big part of like our coding as well. After they finish the capstones, they create a reflection piece. And so then they're then flipping the flip classroom, I guess, if you want to <laughs> You're say, flipping right? Because, the flip classroom. because nice. they're making their videos, whether they're responding to the five prompts and here's the boss and here's why I designed them the way I did, or here's why I added these uh, obstacles at this point. When you're able to then talk through that and to discuss that, you're able then to have these deep conversations. And even if you only have about a half hour a day with them, like I do, you can get these deeper reflections because a lot of them too, if they're just screen recording their game and kind of going a little bit deeper with their reflection, they're able to then really tell you what you wanted to know rather than maybe they're a little bit shy to talk about it in class. Maybe they don't want to talk about it in front of their friend because maybe it's not cool enough or something like that, right? And you have tons of reasons that kids might not want to speak up. So then having them make their own videos and kind of flip and reflect and share that way, that really helps let that student speak and let their voice be heard. Yeah. And it sounds like the difficult part is giving up control. And the other half of that is needing to trust your students. 
how are you able to establish that trust with them and allow them to understand, Hey, I trust that you're going to complete these videos and that you're really, really going to take time listening or watching those, those videos as well. So deadlines definitely help, right? Cause you have to have those deadlines, but really just as far as to, to help the students and trust them is to be authentic, like to show them like, Hey, this might not be perfect. When things go wrong or things don't work, just say, okay, so what are we going to do? to solve it or how are we going to get around this and i think being authentic and just showing them that we're all kind of in this together and yeah i'm here to help guide you but i don't know everything let's figure it out together really kind of helps them i think be a little bit more comfortable right and be a little bit more comfortable with failing because again i've fallen on my face with lessons and things haven't worked and the technology sometimes doesn't always work and again there there are difficult times and, and and things that that come up but it's how you deal with them And I really try to model that because I really feel like my classroom, I try to make it like a microcosm for life. This is what life is, right? Like, okay, so a problem came up. Are we going to freak out? Are we just going to give up? Or are we going to persist and try to figure out and, you know, or maybe do we have to flip and do we get to do a Kahoot today and just try to scrap it all and just have a a fun day, you know? So again, I think it's really just kind of being authentic and being yourself and, and trusting your students and then calling them out too. Look, this all sounds like roses, (laughs) right? But it's not. You know, you have kids that are like, hey, you know, oh, I found a way to get through unblocked games. All right, well, you're going to have to get off your unblocked games and get back to the game that you're creating. And so there is that, and and it is like like life, right? Like you get caught, so I might look at you a few more times to just make sure that, you know, little Joey's not playing unblocked games again. But but again, that's that's life, and, and it's just part of your classroom management. It's normal classroom management. You know your kids, you know who they are, try to get to know them, where they can sit, who they like to be around, who they like to work with. Some of that starts to develop. You can shake it up, but but really you have to know your kids. And I think that's number one. And that doesn't change with the way flipped classroom is delivering. And I honestly think you get to know your kids better because you're not spending as much time just up there talking at them or talking about a concept. They've already heard that concept and now you're able to hear what they're thinking about that concept and go deeper with them. Yeah, it's almost meeting two objectives at once because you are making them be proactive about their learning process. And because of that, they have to vocalize and express those, which then allows you to adapt your curriculum to meet those needs even more, right? Exactly, exactly. And really, again, like I said, as far as making the videos, I really think that it just, it meets them where they're at and it then frees up that teaching time. So whether you're doing, you know, an in-class um, engagement or it's on-demand learning, it frees up that time. And then it just kind of helps your class be more efficient once you get it going and once you get it rolling. Speaking of videos, you said that's been really helpful in flipping the classroom. Can you describe some additional tools or technologies that made it easier for you to make that transformation? Well, the first tool I would say would have to be your mindset. I also put it off for so long because I wanted everything to be perfect. And then the pandemic kind of showed us that it doesn't have to be perfect, even though we said that before, but it was really hard for me to take that jump. And so just get on there and just really start making making your videos. Screen record is great. You don't really need special tools to make videos. There are some cool ones out there. I don't make cool videos right now. I'm not there yet. But really, for me, it's just more so like, okay, here, I'm screen recording, we're on this level. I've noticed that a lot of us are getting sucked. So here's how I would approach it. And then I really just kind of play the level and you talk over it. I may have notes or a bullet point of like what I'm going to say. But for the most part, those videos are just things that that I would make as I would discuss with a student if the student were right there. I imagine that that student's right here, and I'm just walking them through. And then just putting them on um, YouTube with the link. 
just so they're not really published. And then I just share the link with the students just because it makes it a little bit easier for recall, but then it's not out there for everybody. But I would love to at some point then be able to make that available to other people. So it sounds like you make them private videos that you can then share yep. a link to. Yeah, that's pretty much what we do. We use Google Drive. And so sometimes you could play from Google Drive, but then when you have a clash of students, if they all try to access it at the same time, slows it down. But really nothing, nothing fancy. I really just like screen record, just kind of go through it that way and just kind of talk over it. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of videos. How do you organize it for your students so they can easily access them yeah, or navigate uh, them? Yeah, so the videos that I have right now um, are mainly the intro videos kind of going through the first chapter and the second chapter. With the second set that I'm trying to make after I surveyed the students is really just going to kind of be by chapter and then by level. As far as for the students accessing them, I give out the links on a need basis. If they're, they're like, hey, how do we do this? I'm like, oh, here, I'll send you this link. As those get to be more and I make more videos, the idea then would be to just kind of have them separated by chapter and then by level. I would like to make it available to the students. I just haven't made it uh, fully available to everybody yet because, well, one, I want to have more content. But two, I kind of like and this is probably part of the control thing that just popped into my head, but I kind of like them to be like, hey, I'm stuck on this. And I can be like, oh, okay, here, let me just shoot this to you, right? Like I'm still kind of holding on to it and I got to let that go. So this has now <laughs> yeah. become the therapist's office. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Happy to provide that <laughs> service. I mean, I, I, I am push and pull because them needing to vocalize, hey, I'm struggling here gives you another data point too, though. Yeah. But I wonder if there's a way for you to track which videos the kids are watching to I, see where they're getting stuck. Yeah, so that's actually a good thing, I think, too, with YouTube and their analytics. I haven't done this yet for these videos, but you can definitely dive in to see where they're watching, how far they're going into, where they're dropping off. And I think those tools can be very helpful, too, as far as once you have that library, okay, what is important and what, what are students watching more so? And then I guess the next question is, do I, you need to make more videos around that topic or that subject? Mm. Yeah, and I like your approach where it's an iterative process. You don't feel like you need to get it perfect the first time. Clearly, you can't. Yeah. And <laughs> so, again, that's the part where it, it holds you back, right? If you're waiting for it to be perfect, it, it's not going to be. So you just have to jump in feed first. Right. And, you know, you mentioned, too, that kids are also making their own videos to a showcase how they completed a level or finished this piece of program or even finish one of their projects. What are some tools that are helpful to help them capture that thinking? So uh, we're one-to-one -one iPads. So I say, hey, you know, just screen record on your iPad. But I have used Flipgrid in the past. I think that that's a very useful tool. Flipgrid is good for well, basically almost flipping your classroom, right? Like that's good for a lot of reflection work, which is where I would use it. Like, hey, what have you thought about this level? Or how did you use this respond here? And then they could just record themselves speaking. Although sometimes I've seen, and especially this is, through the pandemic too. Not everybody wants to have their face on, on video. So that's where I feel like the screen record kind of works well for both because you can screen record, just talk your way through your game, or you can screen record playing your game and you can have those five prompts and just kind of respond to those prompts. Flipgrid keeps everything together, keeps it nice and neat. When I don't use that, I usually just have them make videos and put them into their Google Drive. And then that way we've talked about sharing and whatnot. So I have access to them and they can share it with me through um, Schoology. I also noticed that this year on Schoology, we use that as our learning platform that you can add videos and you can also add audio. So that's something I'm exploring too. Really just like, okay, where's the best spot for the videos? 
and so far I'm still on, on YouTube I'm sharing it that way but there are other other platforms out there and I think it's really kind of exploring and f figuring out hey what works best for you and your students because there are times too where I've posted stuff in other places and nobody goes to it and even no matter how many times I tell them or give them a link so you have to think about your user on the back end and how they're going to access it and where it works uh, well for them yeah it sounds like you really do need to not only relinquish some control, but also be open to trying out different tools and strategies before you find something that works for your students. Yeah. And don't worry about getting too deep into it either, because who knows, you know, you could have a new app that comes up tomorrow that makes everything super easy for you. Right. And like, then maybe you want to switch and go that way. So it's really good to, to be fluid, like understand the principles and why you're doing it. But I wouldn't worry. That was an, another thing too. You're worrying about, okay, well, what's the app that I need to use and how do I need to do it this way? Just try, just go out there and try, make, make bad videos, you know, make, make videos that are cringy. You're going to live in their, in their world anyway, just be yourself, make bad videos. And then as you go through, just try to pick up like, Hey, what's working well and what's not. That reminds me of a statement that an artist once made to say, just make bad art. You have to embrace making bad art before you get to making good art. Exactly. I feel like you have the same mindset there. So you also mentioned that your students have to present their projects. I know in Azaria, they design their own game and then they present it. What kinds of tools have you used to allow them to present their work? This year or this trimester, I have asked them, I said, hey, do you want to present or do you want to make a video? And I swear everybody 100% wanted to make the videos. And I said, okay, uh, I'm not going to force you to stand up in front of everybody. Although I do feel that presenting uh, is a useful skill and I understand that they need that. This trimester, I'm trying to be a little easier maybe on some of their SEL, just kind of like give them a little bit of a break. But basically what we'll do is each student makes a Google site portfolio reflection. And so they make a page for every chapter that they complete. Ozaria has some really good questions, guiding questions for the capstones at the end of each chapter. And so rather than having them present those, I asked them to respond to those five prompts because there's five prompts per chapter, right? And then they do some sort of screen record and uh, capture some images and then they can do a voiceover, they can type them out. But really at that point, that's their reflection. They go through those five questions, like why did you put this here? And describe your game as one of them. Describe how you went through the process of creating your story. So there's some really cool ideas that are there in Ozaria. And really this is just a format to help share it out. And I like to have them make it on Google Sites because they get a little bit of website design, right? A little bit of site design. I mean, you're not going through HTML or anything, but just kind of going through and like having that visual layout and understanding how it's affecting the story you're telling. Like, do you want to have different sections or do you want to just have one video? I really try to allow that to them so they can create and really let their personality uh, shine through. Again, that voice and choice that you mentioned early on, you're even giving them voice and choice on how they publish their work. Exactly. And I think you have a little bit more of that ownership then, right? Like maybe I'm not uh, the best writer or, I, or maybe I don't feel confident in my writing and I don't want that to be out, but I'm, I like to have my voice or I wouldn't mind being on camera. So I'm going to talk to you and tell you all about chapter two story maker and the rap battle that I'm having them go through. And again, that's great. That's what I want is for them to just be able to share out what they were thinking and how they were doing it. A lot of times I'll have students that come in and I think they just want to code, code and code, which is great. And I want them to be able to code, but I also need them to see that it's not just about the code that you write and the principles that you're using, but it's like why you're designing, why are you creating it this way? And again, I yeah. think that's so much more important. Can you explain why it's so important to not just focus on the coding, but to also focus on that reflection piece? 
the reflection piece really drives home the concepts, not just the concepts like, hey, okay, I know how to use variables, or I can talk about how I used conditionals and I'm gonna show you how I've used them here. But it really brings home that understanding of when you're using them and you're thinking through that process. When we're able to think through that process, it really deepens our learning with whatever we're doing. And a lot of times I think sometimes as teachers, we maybe forget what it's like to be a student. So just jump in and try to be a student. Remember what it's like to learn. Remember some of the good things for you and some of the bad things, and then try to expand that. But really that reflection piece really just deepens your knowledge, deepens your learning. When I force them, and again, I do have to say force them because they're like, okay, can you unlock the next chapter? And it's like, okay, well, where's your portfolio page? Let's make sure that we have that done. That's our process. But really that kind of helps you bring together all the stuff that you did in chapter one or everything that you did in chapter two. And it makes you think back about that and hopefully drive that learning and that knowledge and that understanding home. And then it really should then in turn even help then when you're going from chapter two to chapter three, because now you're going to do a review for the first module or two. So it's just kind of recalling what you have and it, it's really helping bring that learning home. Right. And it highlights how we were saying you need to give up control, but it's important to think about it not as black and white. You don't want to give up complete control exactly, to your yeah. students. You got to give them some structure, right? Yeah. And I'll be honest, I've gone a little bit too far as, as far as releasing some of that control. And really, you can have a lot of creativity within structure. You probably have more creativity within the structure because now you have these boundaries that you have to work around. But Really making those videos for the kids really just drives that learning home and just deepens it. One thing that I didn't really share that we do is we do a peer review and I know that that's also part of that. So then like I have times, days where it's like, okay, just play somebody else's game now. And I've had kids play other people's games for the entire 30 minutes, which maybe isn't the best, but you know, sometimes you have to have a game day and that kind of gives into some of their voice and choice, right? And maybe sometimes they just need a break, but it's cool because then they're able to give that feedback. And you get to really see why the student made the game the way they did. One student mentioned how he made his game impossible and he wanted to make it impossible and he didn't want anybody to be able to beat it. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> right? But then we had this conversation and it was like, okay, so did you listen to the feedback? And really the students then that were playing it were more motivated to beat his unbeatable game. So, I mean, you have these different ideas that pop up. And I've seen students then even go back where I say, hey, let's just put the code in first and then then it'll help kind of shape your game. Like we've talked about Storymaker. And then a student come back and the, said that they were gonna make a really cheesy rap battle. But I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly where I want your creativity to go. Because then tying back into student experiences, maybe in 10, 20 years, somebody's working as a programmer or using coding, going back to like, hey, remember that time that I made that like rap battle on Ozaria in Selgrad's class? You know, kind of like, hey, remember when we were playing Oregon Trail um, on the, you know, old IBM, like green screen computers, like they're going to have those same memories. So I'm trying to help make that as rich and as engaging to them as possible. It sounds also personal as well. I mean, clearly that kid really wanted to do a rap battle. <laughs> yes. And maybe he also knows how to get extra points from his teacher. I don't know, but he worked it. And I'll tell you, just even saying that, that's, that's the direction you want to go. That's awesome. So thanks for sharing all of these strategies. Looking at other educators out there, do you have any advice for them if they're thinking of flipping their classroom? Where should they start? I would just pick a lesson, something that you know well. And really, I would try to take what you say in front of the classroom or what you do. If you're lecturing or if you're trying to deliver information, just record yourself. You probably even have a slide deck of your lesson that you're going to do. Just record yourself and then share it out. 
send it to the kids say hey why don't you just try this and then once you, you know for homework tonight watch this video come back and then let's talk about it i think really just jumping in and just doing it raw and organically and doing what works best for you is is really the advice that i would give you have to be authentic when you do it but just jump in and just try it and see see what happens um yeah. again it's not going to be perfect I will say though that once you do that, it, it does take a lot of work to kind of keep building it. That's why I mentioned our science department. I know that they worked really hard and they worked really well together because they were able to kind of split out some of their curriculum and say, okay, well, I'm gonna take this unit, you take this unit, and then they're able to then share that. For me, it's taken a little bit longer, just because again, you know, I teach this class two times a trimester. So every trimester I'm trying to tweak and improve it and just kind of go through. So that's kind of where, where I'm at. But as far as just, tips i think it's being authentic and just jumping in yeah and hold on because it's it's not going to be perfect either like you don't want it to be perfect though but i honestly feel like i get more out of teaching this way it's more exciting it fits my personality you're able to then go deep with johnny who like is flying through and now is on like nested loops in chapter three but then you can also help your friend you know joey over here who still is working on conditionals and you could say hey have you watched this video okay so now what do you think about this video and then talk to him because then you can have that conversation and then hopefully you can help get that light bulb to go off or help get that concept to go through it kind of will save you time if you work on the back end it'll save you time on the front end it almost sounds like advice we all like to give our students to be persistent and then take your own advice too and then you know it's also hard to do so i i'm not don't let anybody judge you do you and just do your best man. that's a great way to end things tim thanks so much for being part of our podcast thank you i had a great time i appreciate being here thanks for listening to edtech adventures Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.